You're listening to the Marathon Church Podcast. We exist to build communities that love Jesus, love people, and live on purpose. To learn more about Marathon Church, visit MarathonChurch.org. We hope that this encourages you and builds your faith. Enjoy this week's message. All right, I got a special, I got somebody special I want you to meet. Craig Henson, who is married to Amy for 35 years. We like Amy. We like Amy more than Craig. Just throw it out. Um, way more, way more. Craig has been working with us on Tuesdays. He has a full-time job, but he's helping us out on Tuesdays, working with our groups, working with the live track and all the things. He's been a pastor for over 20 years in Los Angeles, California, and so I thought he would bring a different perspective to everything that's happening right now, and I wanted you to hear from Craig on Galatians and what is going on and all the things he's got. We've been doing podcasts together, so y'all give it up for Craig. Thanks, Eddie. Hey, thank y'all so much. Um, Man, Drive-In Church, this has been so great. Um, I've been so proud uh, to have a part in serving at Drive-In Church. Can I hear it from my parking team? Yeah, so most of you guys may not know me. Some of you may know me from our Life Track class. Um, I probably don't know a lot of you, but I look forward to meeting you if I haven't already. And like Eddie said, I've just recently joined the team, and I'm so happy and blessed to be a part of the team. And uh, I'm honored uh, to lead this, this parking team and to have a chance to talk to you guys today. And uh, by the way, every, welcome everybody watching online. Uh, we're going to have a great time as we walk through the second chapter of Galatians today. So here's my deal. My wife, Amy, and I, along with my parents and our kids and our grandkids, we moved here from California six years ago. And sometimes it seems just like yesterday, and sometimes it seems like forever. Uh, And you may notice that I talk a little bit different than many of you. Um, It's because I was raised by Texans in the Midwest, and then we moved to California. And so I might be a little bit confused on some things. And so let me just get some things out there, okay? I'm a Yankee, not, not, not by choice, um, and I'm a, I'm a city boy. And I hope y'all won't hold that against me because I do love my iced tea and pimento cheese. Can I get a honk for pimento cheese today? And listen, I, I might use some terminology uh, that's maybe a little bit different, so... If I drop a dude or a bro or you guys on you, just kind of use your southern translator and hear y'all, and everything should be fine. We'll do fine. But listen, I really don't want to talk about me today. I want to jump right into this content because the book of Galatians is such an amazing document, actually letter that has been preserved for us by God. And by the way, if you're following along on the app, and I would encourage you to follow along on the app, I have all the scripture in there for you. Uh, There's also a link on the app to the Bible Project. And you can go to that link on on the app, and you can click that link, and it'll take you to this video, this animated video that's an overview of the book of Galatians. And I would encourage you to take a look at that, and uh, you'll kind of know an overview of where we're going for the next several weeks. Now, let me lay some groundwork before we jump in today. So this guy named Paul that we know, if we've been in church, we know as the Apostle Paul, he would travel around the known world during the first century, and he would start churches. But he wouldn't stay at that church. 
he would move on and start another church, but then he would go back and check up on these churches, and then he would write them letters to help them or encourage them, and in this case with the churches in Galatia, to correct them because they'd kind of gotten off track. And he did write this letter to a group of churches in an area called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and these churches were primarily made up of non-Jewish or Gentile Christians, uh, all right, Gentile believers. By the way, most of us are Gentiles. I, I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. I've never been under the Old Testament law, and there's probably a good chance that many of you or most of you are Gentiles as well. You've never been under the Old Testament law. And listen, I, I've not been under that law, although go, growing up in the church in America in the 20th century, it sometimes felt like I was under the law. Listen, I've never been accountable to the Old Testament law. But let me just keep it real. Most days, I don't live up to my own standards, much less God's standards. I'm a sinner, and I'm jacked up. So anyway, this is what was going on. After Paul had left this region of Galatia, some Jewish Christians came into the churches behind him, and they brought with them some Jewish traditions. They tried to bring the Old Testament law. They tried to bring the Torah into this Gentile church. And one of the traditions that they came at these Gentile believers with was circumcision. They were basically saying, hey, it's great that you're following Jesus, but dude, if you want to be in the club, you have to be circumcised. Now that was a problem. And I'm going to be honest, that would be a problem for me because I'm all out on adult circumcision. And I'm guessing that the non-Jewish Christian men in that region were like, yeah, hard pass on the adult circumcision. So last week, Chase talked about how Paul started with the fact that these churches had abandoned the gospel, that they'd put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins. But now they're saying, you've got to keep these rules too so that you can be right with God. And he compared it to what we call in America, and especially in the South, our Sunday best, where we would put rules and preferences on people and expect them to live up to them, you know, when they came to church to put on their Sunday best. But let me tell you something. Here at Marathon, we believe that there are two forms of Christianity. And we want to help everybody understand real Christianity. Real Christianity is based on a love relationship with Jesus where you live in freedom. Now, there's another band of Christ, brand of Christianity that says you have to follow all the rules. There, there's a type of Christianity, and I'm using my air quotes, that's all about rules and duty and judgment and condemnation. And that type of Christianity does not lead to freedom. And there is a tendency... All right, because we're keeping it real. I'm being real. You be real. There's a tendency, if we're not careful, if we're not on guard, to put our rules on people. Here at Marathon, we believe that everybody is welcome. We don't qualify anybody at the front door. Yet there is a tendency, if we let our guard down, to move back that day, back that way, where we put our preferences on people. Now, let me just give you a quick example. I know some people, I know some churches, where if you're not politically conservative, you're not welcome. Hello. 
I'm just saying, that's qualifying. That's putting people under our agenda. And it happens. All right, now let me, let me get rolling before I start meddling. I could tell that went over real big. Let's pick up in chapter 2 of Galatians, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. And this is what Paul writes. He says, but when Peter came to Antioch, now Peter was another leader in those early churches. He, he was super close to Jesus, and, and he's kind of a big deal. But as you'll see, he was part of the problem. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. And I think we should note that they spoke face to face because true Christianity deals with differences face to face as Jesus instructed. Am I right? Verse 12, when he first arrived, this guy Peter, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. So Peter was hanging out with the uncircumcised guys and it was cool. But afterward, when some friends of James came, now James was the half-brother of Jesus and the pastor of the big church in Jerusalem, so he's a big deal in the church as well. When some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. He wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore because he was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. So when the Jewish guys who were mixing the Old Testament law with the freedom that we have in Christ showed up, Peter bailed on the Gentile guys. Verse 13, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter caused other Jewish believers to go back to rule-keeping, and even Barnabas, who was totally Paul's guy, went back to living under the law. They, they've met Jesus, and they're living in freedom, and then this icon of the church rolls up, playing both sides, and his hypocrisy leads them back to rule-keeping. Now check this out. We can tend to do the same thing. See, when we live in freedom, we love Jesus, and we love people, and we accept people. But it's very easy for us to go back to our religious ways where we serve out of duty and we judge people and we condemn people. And we hold people to standards that have very little to do with Jesus' teaching and have everything to do with our personal preferences. Listen, it can happen so easy. Listen, just for me, it, it can happen so easy for me. It is so easy for me to move from loving Jesus and loving people to being a big-time hater. I mean, I'll get in a conversation with another Christian, a fellow believer, a fellow Christ follower, about a particular issue, and, and they'll disagree with me, and I'll start thinking, even though I may not say it out loud, I'll start thinking, are they even following Jesus? Are they even saved? Because they don't agree with me. By the way, just in general, it doesn't take much to get me out of walking in freedom with Jesus. I mean, I can wake up in the morning and I'm going to have a blessed day. And all it takes is a guy in a 2008 Ford Explorer pulling a trailer filled with trash going 27 miles an hour down the 123. <laughs> and I'm like, really? What an idiot. I'm from LA. Listen, in LA, you can get away with a lot. But if you hold up traffic, 
at the very least, they're going to tell you you're number one. The judgment, the condemnation, the lack of grace, it can rush back in so quickly. So listen, this message is for all of us that want to live in love and freedom, but tend to swing back to rules, duty, judgment, and condemnation. Listen, I I want us to learn to live with freedom. So how do you keep from going back? Well, it really comes down to understanding the gospel. Paul goes back to the gospel here in chapter 2, just like he did in chapter 1. Pick up with me in verse 16. He writes, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be, might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Listen, we know, we know that we can't be made right with God by being religious. And we know because we've tried it. Verse 19, he says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law and I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Now, this is what it's all about. If, if you're like me and you grew up in the church or you grew up religious, you live with this tension. I know I feel it. You probably feel it too. And, and most of us, most of us probably on most days live in love and freedom. But we all have those days where we want to swing back over to rule keeping and duty and judgment and condemnation. In a letter he wrote to the church in a city called Ephesus, Paul says that we are God's masterpiece. Most days I feel more like a piece of work than a masterpiece. But let me tell you this. You get to be both a masterpiece and a work in progress simultaneously. I get to be both God's masterpiece and a work in progress simultaneously. And it's a day-to-day thing. This thing of following Jesus and loving people and loving Jesus, it's a day-to-day thing. Now, here's the secret to living with freedom. This is the secret sauce. And this verse, verse 20, really sums, sums up the entire chapter and really this entire letter. And can I just say this? And you're probably going to drive off today or tune out online and go, man, that guy's opinionated. I, I am. I'm sorry. Let me just say this. What, what Paul's about to tell us, this is deep. This is deep. Have you ever walked out of church and heard, heard somebody say, well, I really didn't like that sermon. It wasn't deep enough. Stop. Stop it. Theological dissertations are not deep. Love Jesus and love your neighbor as yourself is deep. This, this is the deep end. This is the deep end. This is, the, this is not easy, but this is the game changer. Verse 20. Paul says, my old self, my old self with all of my personal preferences, preferences and likes and dislikes, And Paul was the ultimate rule guy before he met Jesus. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ 
And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You have to learn the art of dying. If you're going to love Jesus and love people and live in freedom, you have to learn the art of dying. You have to put some things down. He goes on to write, so I live in this earthly body because I can't escape it. This earthly body that wants to swing back to rules and duty and judgment and condemnation. I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, it's not me. It's Christ living in me. I have to live in this body, but I live by trusting in Jesus who died for me. Now, Jesus talked about this with his followers. Jesus is telling his followers that he's about to go to Jerusalem and he's going to be arrested and he's going to be beaten and he's going to be crucified and then rise again on the third day. And of course, this same guy, Peter, that's causing the trouble in Galatia, he says, no, Jesus, I ain't going to let that happen. I got you, man. I've, I've got your back. That will never happen to you. And Jesus not so politely tells Peter, you better back up. And he follows it up with this. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Folks, for us to live in freedom, something has to die. Paul said his old self has been crucified with Christ. Now, just so that we're clear, crucifixion was the most hideous and shameful form of capital punishment in the first century. And the purpose of crucifixion was not merely execution. Crucifixion was intended to inflict the most suffering and indignity possible. And Jesus took all of our shame and all of our sin to his cross with him. And Paul is telling us now, great, you put your faith in Jesus. He took your sin to the cross. But if you want to live in freedom, you have to die every day. You have to die to self every day. Well, what does it look like? Check this out. Same guy, Paul. Listen, because nobody's better equipped to teach us the art of dying. He wrote this to believers in a city called Rome. You may have heard of Rome. He wrote, we know that our old sinful selves were, and here's the C word, crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. And we are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You've been set free. When we die with Christ, we are free. Sin has lost its power over us, and we can live with freedom. Now here's the big question for me. What does this look like on a daily basis? What do I need to do every day so that I can live in love and freedom? Well, Paul gives us some practical steps. The first thing he says is, it's not me. 
It's no longer me. It's Christ living in me. It's not about me. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. In another letter that Paul wrote to a church in a place called Corinth, he said, I die every day. He said, it's an everyday thing. You never get to go on autopilot. Listen, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you remember the day when you put your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You remember the day that you gave your life to him. Listen, that's great. Nothing gets me fired up more than seeing somebody meet Jesus. But if you don't die to self every day, you will go back to living with rules and religion and duty and judgment and condemnation. It's what our, our sinful self does. It's what this flesh does. So here's the key to dying every day. It's humility. Humility. Eddie mentioned I've been preaching for a while, and actually this is the first time I've preached in six years, if you can believe that. But one day I, I just finished preaching, and I stepped off the stage, and this guy walked up to me, and he said, you know, Craig, that, that was a good message today. And, it, you know, I got the backhanded compliment, so I figured, like, the fire was coming. He said, but I really think you need to humble yourself. You, you need to be more humble. And I said, man, I, pr I appreciate that, brother. It's something that I work on. Uh, I, I pray for humility every day. And, and I try to have men in my life that hold me accountable uh, to be humble. And I, and I said, if I could, could I, could I just share my perspective with you? He, he said, sure. And I said, I would say the same about you. You need to humble yourself, man. And here's what he said to me. I'm one of the most humble people I know. Listen, if you have to tell somebody you're humble, you're not. I have to humble myself and give my life and my attitude and my words and my wants and my, my, my desires to Jesus every single day. Because most days I think Craig knows best. Paul understood this. Because back in the day, he thought he knew best. In fact, he was even killing Christians. And Paul had to learn to be humble. Later on in the fifth chapter of Galatians, he will list the fruit of the Spirit for us. When I, when I read that passage in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, I kind of think of it as a prayer that Paul would pray. It's a prayer I have to pray every day. I have to ask God to help me live with love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control every day. I have to pray it every day. Now, fortunately, my lovely bride of 35 years has a sign hanging over our bathroom sink with Galatians 5, 22, and 23 on it. She's just subtle that way. Listen, I have to humble myself, and then I must kill my passions and desires. He follows that up, the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, verse 24, with this. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and, C-word again, crucified them there. 
Those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Now, listen, in 21st century America, we're told to embrace our, embrace our passions, embrace our desires. We'll say things like, oh, that's just who you are. Just, just follow your feelings. Oh, hey, you do you. I am what I am. I'm just predisposed to this. Now listen, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be passionate about some things. I'm not saying that you shouldn't desire some things. But if your passions and desires don't mesh with God's best for you, you cannot live with freedom. I have some passions and desires and feelings that are opposed to God's plan and they don't involve loving Jesus and loving people. And I can't just go with my feelings. And listen, the key to killing my passions and desires is choices. Live by choices, not by feelings. Live by principles, not by pressure. And listen, your life of freedom is at stake. And it's tough. This is not easy. If you want to have a life, you have to lose it. And listen, there's a philosophy and agenda in this world, and it wants me to buy in, and it wants you to buy in, but it will not lead to freedom. Later on in Galatians, Paul wrote this, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been, C word, crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. When we give our lives to Jesus, we give up our interest in the world so that we can live in freedom in Jesus Christ. And by the way, the world has lost interest in us as well. Real Christianity is based on a love relationship with Jesus that allows us to live in freedom. And let me just say this, the world has no interest in Christianity as we have defined it and lived it in many cases. Rules, duty, judgment, and condemnation have never changed anybody's life. Love and freedom are worth living for, and the world just might find that interesting. Once I give my life to Christ, it's not about me, and I kill my passions and desires. And folks, if we live on the fence, we will forfeit our freedom. My old self died with Christ. Now Christ lives in me. Would you spend just a quiet moment with me? You know, if you're old school like me and you're sitting in your car or you're watching at home, you might want to just, you know, bow your head and close your eyes. Because I think there's two types of people out here today and two types of people watching at home. Some of you have given your life to Christ. But what defines your life? Is it defined by rules and duty and judgment and condemnation? Or is it defined by love and freedom that comes from following Jesus? We have to learn the art of dying. Perhaps you've never given your life to Jesus. You're sitting in your car this morning right here at Marathon Church or you're watching at home and you've never given your life to Jesus. 
I want you to know that freedom is available in Jesus. And, and listen, every day, you don't live up to your own standards, much less God's standards. You are a sinner and your sin separates you from God. And the only bridge back to God is belief in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. He loves you and he died for you and he rose again so that you can live in freedom. Let's pray together. Father, I pray as a Christ follower and with other Christ followers that are here today. God, for clarity in this area, for clarity where the gospel is concerned. Father, we know that we we can never do enough in the law to meet your standard, but we are so thankful that Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sin, and that he rose again so that we might live in freedom. And I pray, God, that we would die to ourselves today, and we would embrace humility, and we would kill our passions and desires, that we would make great choices that reflect the love and freedom that Jesus has called us to. If you've never given your life to Christ, would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, I I, I agree that most days I don't live up to my own standards, much less yours. And I can acknowledge today that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that he rose again the third day. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus today. Forgive me of my my sin. And, And Lord Jesus, teach me by your spirit to walk in this love and freedom today. And drive in church and everybody at home, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message and made a decision to follow Jesus, be sure to let us know by connecting with us at MarathonChurch.org. If you haven't already, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience more messages, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at MarathonChurch.org or download the Marathon Church app. Thanks for listening to the Marathon Church Podcast.